Well, hey friends, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And today we're gonna talk about the most important piece of furniture in your house. Well, hey friends, my name is Marcus and I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel. I'm so glad that you've joined us today. And if you know anything about me, you will know that one of my favorite things is food. I love food. I love cooking. I love baking. Um, maybe even more, I love other people baking and cooking for me and eating that food. And I am always, always down to go grab a bite. It can be morning, noon, night, it doesn't matter when it is. I'm always ready to eat something at somebody's house or at a restaurant, it's all good. It's actually one of my most favorite things to do because when you eat, you can transport yourself to anywhere in the world. You get to go on like a mini tropical vacation in your own home. And it's truly a multi-sensory experience of tastes and temperatures, of aroma, of texture, all coming together in this one amazing dish or even this one bite. And I'm one of those people, I don't know if you're the same, if you are, like let me know because I need more people like you. I'm one of those people that if I know I'm going to a restaurant, I'm gonna preview the whole menu. Like I'm gonna search them up, I'm gonna look through everything, I'm gonna read every description, and I'm gonna choose before I get there what I'm going to get. Because I'm one of those people that if I get there, I'm overwhelmed. I have to like pre-read the menu. But to be honest, I'm like one of those crazy people that, uh, maybe I'm alone, I don't know, that reads uh, restaurants menus just for fun. So if there's like a restaurant that I've heard of or that I know somebody's going to or I know somebody who has just gone there, um, I will often look up that restaurant and I will read the menu because I just find it so fascinating and so interesting because I really do love food. And I firmly believe that the most important piece of furniture that you can have in your home, it's not a bed, it's not your couches, it's not a TV, it's not you know a really great like soaker tub or whatever you would fill in the blank with. I truly believe but it's a dinner table. Because not only can you be transported to an exotic location at the dinner table, but there's something I think even more amazing about a dinner table. Because when you gather around a meal, I don't know if you felt this, but there's a sense of relief. There's a sense of being able to kind of let your hair down. There's a sense of this like immediate kinship that you have with those people around you because you're literally sharing something with them. You're almost like co-conspirators in this meal together. There's a kinship that comes as you share that meal. And I don't know about you, but the times that I, the, the times where I've laughed the most, where I've cried the most, where I've had some of the most profound and cherished conversations that I can look back on is around the dinner table. And I'm never more comfortable than around a meal with others. There's just something about that. And I think, to be honest, it's a place that's actually extremely underutilized in our homes, both for our families, but also as we invite others around our table as well. And unfortunately, I think it's really becoming a lost art. But you know somebody who knew the power of a dinner table? It was Jesus. Jesus knew the power of a dinner table. And I don't think it's by chance or even convenience that so much of scripture's symbols happened around a table. You know, in Psalm 23, it says, God prepares a table in the presence of our enemy. Jesus institutes communion by the breaking of bread and drinking of wine. Jesus in the gospels invited himself to Zacchaeus' house and he said, I'm gonna have dinner at your house today. 
Jesus often is seen reclining at the table with others. And we see one of the key pillars of the early church was actually that they shared a meal. They broke bread and they prayed together. And as we close off this section in our Gospel of John series, we're going to see the power of the dinner table to bring deeper truth in the disciples' lives as Jesus' earthly ministry begins to come to a close. And I think it also has a moment of deep truth in our lives today. So we're going to turn together to John chapter 13, the very end of it. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. If you go to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, uh, it will give you all the ways that you can either get a digital copy or if you live in our area here of Powell River, uh, we would love to give you a real copy uh, as well. And so go there, find it, pause this if you need to, and download a Bible today. But before we jump in, let's quickly pray. God, we thank you so much that you would invite us around a dinner table, that uh, you would bring truth to our lives even today, that you are still speaking to us, that Jesus, you are still working in our lives, and that we get to have an intimate relationship with you now, but also uh, when this life is over. And we thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done for us. God, we love you, and may my words today become so quiet so that, Holy Spirit, you can speak to our hearts and our minds, which is the only way that brings transformation. God, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we close off chapter 13, it's at the dinner table with Jesus and the disciples, but they still have some unanswered questions that they pose to Jesus. And you know, as I've read through this passage, as I've studied it, as I've heard Pastors Lucas and Lisa um, preach on this passage, I've been really struck uh, recently with the patience and the tenderness in which Jesus has with the disciples around this table. There's just something like extra beautiful in this picture. Even amongst Judas leaving the table to betray Jesus, um, all the other things that have transpired around the dinner table of washing feet and uh, kind of pushing back on some humility of his, his lack of humility of some of his disciples, that Jesus is still unhurried. He's still willing to answer every question his disciples have with just a sense of love and tenderness for them. And Peter, one of the disciples, poses one of these questions to Jesus. And it seems that Peter was really listening to Jesus uh, earlier in his teachings earlier because he asked Jesus in, in John chapter 13, verse 36, he says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And he asked this question because if you remember back in verse 33, Jesus says he's going somewhere that the disciples cannot come. Now, in order to understand why this maybe was a question that, that Peter posed to Jesus or why was it so important that he had to ask, uh, we need to kind of understand the life of a disciple and a rabbi. Because a disciple's role would be to follow the rabbi as they, they themselves were responsible and committed to learning everything they could from their rabbi, their teacher. And so it's often said that they would follow so closely that the dust of the rabbi's feet would fall onto the disciples' feet. And so there's a sense of following him like literally everywhere he went 24-7. And this would have been the case with Jesus' disciples as well. That this sense of following is a non-negotiable. It's a very indicator of relationship between disciple and teacher. So for the disciples to hear that Jesus was going somewhere they couldn't, this would have caused some concern. It seems as if Jesus is beginning to end or, or shift the rabbi-disciple relationship, something that would have been distressing to his disciples. So Peter asked this question, I think with a bit of trepidation in his heart, because it signified the shifting role and relationship with his rabbi, Jesus. 
And so let's look at what Peter uh, replies to Jesus in verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Now, scholars and believers in general, including myself, are so quick to criticize Peter. Uh, throughout his life, he's a little bit of a loose cannon, um, but particularly scholars really criticize Peter in this moment uh, for his pride or, or her, his insensitivity to what Jesus was saying about loving others. For instance, Matthew Henry says this. He says, what Christ had said concerning brotherly love, Peter overlooked, but spoke of that which Christ kept them ignorant. It is common to be more eager to know the secret things which belong to God only than about things revealed which belong to us and our children. And so Matthew Henry kind of makes Peter out to be this uh, like ignorant, kind of self-absorbed disciple. And then Henry Gill uh, says this about the moment. He says, one might have expected Peter would have taken some notice of what Christ had said last about love to one another, but he passes over it and he takes no manner or notice of it. And so he kind of makes Peter to seem, seem like he's dismissing some more important parts of Jesus' teaching for this moment of like, hey, where are you going? But I would actually disagree with both of these sentiments. I think Peter was actually showing the intention to be a committed, faithful disciple of Jesus. And not only that, but actually did take to, to heart about what Jesus said about the new commandment to love one another. Don't you hear that in, in his question? In his distress of asking it, he says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will what? I will lay down my life for you. Well, I think Peter is showing this love for Jesus and his desire to follow him all the way even unto death, to even lay down his life for his rabbi. And so I think it's very easy to criticize Peter. He is, to some extent, makes himself a very easy target. Um, but I would actually say that Peter had all of the best intention. And in that moment, he was truly desiring to be a faithful, devoted follower of Jesus, even until the end. And I think in this moment, Peter is truly, with like eyes wide open, beginning to see just where Jesus was headed. Not to political greatness, not to the radical overthrowing of religious order, but rather to the cross, to suffering and pain. And he's saying, Lord, I will go with you there right now. And so I think his intention is not to have like an extended holiday on his rabbi's dime necessarily, but I think rather he is taking, the heart, taking to heart the teachings of Jesus. And I think this is what makes what Jesus says next to be so much more poignant. Let's read it in verse 38. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now that would be so hard for Peter to hear because he's like, his intention is to follow Jesus until the end. And Jesus says, no, I know the intention of your heart. I know the actions that you will have. Are you sure you'll lay down your life for me because you're going to deny me? Now the benefit with us or for us is that we know the end of Peter's story. We know that yes, he did indeed deny Jesus, just as Jesus said, but that Peter also became a devoted, faithful apostle. And he was responsible for spreading the gospel throughout much of the known world then. He was considered in Catholic tradition to be the first Pope. And he did eventually die for Jesus as he was martyred under Nero. And it said even that Peter was uh, crucified upside down because he felt that he was unworthy 
of being crucified in the same way that his Lord Jesus was. But in this moment of the gospel, as we jump into the story and time there, Jesus sees through Peter's claim and he kind of forth tells the fickleness of his heart that would happen in a few short days when the rubber met the road and where he would deny Jesus three times. So in some of Jesus's most intimate group, his closest friends, in a moment when scripture says he loved them to the very utmost, he also foreshadows his inner circle betraying him and denying him. So friends, we can criticize Peter for a fickle, wavering heart. But if we're being honest, how often do we, or how often have we made the same claim? How often have we said with our mouths in that moment of both distress and, and the, or, or even, you know, oppositely, the overflow of our love for Jesus, that we would commit to doing anything. Like, God, I will do anything for you if you do this. Like, Jesus, I love you. I'll do anything for you. But when it comes to it, our hearts also waver. I know for me it's happened. I know for me I identify a lot with Peter um, in this passage and in this story. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is that our lips can say whatever they want. Our hearts can have the best intentions, but if it's not met with faithful, committed actions, then in the end it doesn't mean much. And yet the hopeful part of the story is that Jesus already knew that Peter would deny him. He already knows those moments with us too. And if Peter's life is any testament, it's that those moments, they don't have to define us. They don't have to define us in this moment or even the, our faithfulness in the future if we choose to turn back to Jesus. But the disciples were kind of right in the middle of this moment. They didn't get to see ahead. They were just told that your closest friends would betray and deny your rabbi and your savior. And so we see Jesus' response to, to Peter specifically, but to the disciples reckoning with their brokenness and the reality of what Jesus is about to do uh, as we read and turn the page to John chapter 14, verse 1 to 4. It says this, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Well, in the disciples' despair, in the troubling of their hearts, as they kind of reckon with this moment, with their brokenness, with kind of beginning to understand where Jesus was going in terms of the cross, Jesus speaks to them with such tenderness and such grace. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He reminds them that the antidote to their troubled hearts is simple yet profound faith in Jesus. That in the midst of darkness, of betrayal and denial, that the, the realization that their friends are not, who, are not all who they say they are, that Jesus still is. That Jesus still is unchanging that he is perfectly consistent in word and in action. And is that enough even when the world around you seems to be thrown into chaos? And, and not only that, but there's an eschatological reality to this belief. And what I mean by that is eschatology is a study of end times when Jesus comes again. And so there's, a, there's an end times reality to this belief that Jesus is going to a place that they can't because he is preparing a place for them that extends beyond this life. 
And this is the hope that we see in this passage, that even if life now is hard and hurtful and broken, that Jesus has prepared a place for us when we are reunited with him that is free of brokenness, that is free of hurt, that is free of pain and tears and, and all of the sorrows that life can sometimes bring us. And, and this is really the hope that we get to hold on to. And, and it can seem like when we say, you know, like, don't let your hearts be troubled, believe in God. It can seem very, um, like, paltry or very, um, like, we're skipping over something really important or, or, or we're maybe brushing over something important. And that belief in God is not just, like, sentiment of who he is, but it's this, like, anchoring that's firm belief that maybe we can't see it, but we believe that there is something and someone there with us greater. And so that faith in Jesus, like I said, is simple, but it's also incredibly profound. And yes, it may feel like it wavers and changes and it's hard, um, but it's one of those things that as we anchor ourselves in who God is, as we remind ourselves of who he is, that it can be one of those things that do bring peace to our troubled hearts. And, and Morrison comments on this moment. He says, his disciples felt his departure like a torture. And it was then that he consoled them with such simple and glorious speech that all Christendom is the debtor to their, to their agony. It was Jesus's consolation that gave them the hope that this wasn't the end for Jesus and neither was it the end for them. Because I think without this sentiment, if Jesus had just like blown past this moment, without this reminder, I think that the disciples maybe wouldn't have committed to completing the mission of spreading the gospel to the world. Now, to be clear, Jesus's mission's mission wouldn't have petered out, but his people could have in this moment if they only saw what was right in front of them rather than what was being prepared for them in the future. Have you ever felt alone like that? Where the world is dark, where you face the reality of your own brokenness, where it maybe seems like God has left you as well, where you cry out, God, where are you? And yet it seems like he isn't there, where we just can't see him amidst all of the challenges in front of us. Well, I think that's what the disciples felt was about to happen. But Jesus assures them that yes, he may be leaving this world in terms of what they could see, but that he is going so that he can prepare a place in eternity for us to be with him. Even Peter, the one who would shortly deny him, even you and I, as we all have our own sin that we face and battle against. And although he has gone to prepare a place, he is also with us by a spirit as well. So there's this like now and not yet of this promise that Jesus will never leave us as we reckon with, reckon with the brokenness of the world and ourselves, but that he's also preparing a place that is something better for us in the future. He's saying here, friends, hold on, hold on. You will see the pieces of the puzzle come together in a way that you can never imagine. Uh, a commentator, Tenney says, Jesus' solution to perplexity, to, to the troubles, is not a recipe. It is a relationship with him. So what if instead of trying to make a formula to find peace, we instead sought relationship with the one who is peace. As we look at our world now, it's division and darkness. Friends, I don't think that there is a perfect formula to fix it. I don't think we could plug certain things in the formula and it all works out in the end. 
But there is a person who can, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And if Jesus is preparing a place for us, then friends, he will also prepare us for that place. And I think as the disciples heard this, they were eager to know how to get there. They're like, oh, there is hope. Like, how do I get there? And so let's read on in verses five to seven. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, this, this holds, I think, a dual meaning because it absolutely talks about the exclusivity of eternity being in Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And if he is those things, then anything else isn't. He's the only way in which we can be saved. He's the clearest picture of God that we can see. It's not about following the law to perfection like the religious leaders thought. It's not about giving enough money to buy your way in. It's about Jesus. The way is him. The truth of scripture points to him. The abundant life we have is because of him. It is all about Jesus. And this is a great hope that if it's all about Jesus, then it's no longer about our merits. It's no longer about our perfection. It's no longer about uh, the way that we live um, in terms of the mistakes that we make and the lack of perfection we will always attain. But it's about his grace, his forgiveness, and his love for us. This is the way to find the place that is prepared for us in eternity by what Jesus said at the beginning of chapter 14, to believe in him. And I love this passage because he shows that it brings peace to their troubled hearts right now, but it also brings a solution to their future with him as well. Friends, how often do we as people of faith need to be retaught the simplicity of the gospel? Like I think people of faith often need to be retaught those things. I know I do because I think it's so easy to find ourselves drifting from the main thing. But this passage reminds us to stand on the simple gospel. And to be honest, I think that the capital C church has lost its sense of joy and hope and even um, like passion and uh, importance of, of talking about eternity with Jesus. Because I've seen as a conversation around eternity has diminished or it's almost been uh, like relegated to a consolation prize where we focus so much on our right now that we forgot, we've forgotten about the not yet of eternity. And I think if we only focus on the right now, we kind of lose hope because we can't see anything beyond that. Now, I don't want us to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. But I do think that eternity is one of the most powerful pieces of hope we have because it allows us to see the problems of this world in a much different light and a much different sense than if right now that's all that we ever had. And I think eternity is the most powerful piece of hope not because it's necessarily like this escape from this world eventually, although it would be, but because Jesus is there. Because Jesus is preparing a place for us right now. That we will be reunited in perfection with Jesus is the gift and the hope of eternity. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. But I think this truth also has a secondary meaning as well. 
And I think it has a secondary meaning for those who are believers in faith today. Because the way of Jesus is going to the cross. It is a death to self. It's sacrifice. It's submission to God. And this is also the way in which we go if we too are apprentices of Jesus. This is also the truth. And paradoxically, death to self is also the way to life both now and in eternity. So as much as I think this is a moment to encourage our hearts and to present uh, those who are exploring faith with the simple gospel, I don't think we can divorce this moment from the truth of where Jesus is headed and what it means for us right now. And David Guzik unpacks this duality so well when he says, in light of soon events, this declaration was a paradox. Jesus's way would be the cross. He would be convicted by blatant liars. His body would soon lie lifeless in a tomb. Because he took that way, he is the way to God. Because he did not contest the lies, we can believe he is the truth. Because he was willing to die, he becomes the channel of resurrection, the life to us. And I think Jesus uh, speaks of this in, in kind of a double meaning, so that in times when our hearts are troubled and our commitment is wavering, that reminding ourselves that he is the way, the truth, and the life, allows us once again to boldly and courageously die to ourselves, knowing that it will not be our end, but it will be our life. And it gives you and I courage to pick up that cross again today, knowing that if Jesus is the way, he will never lead us somewhere he hasn't already gone before and already triumphed over. Well, this, this picture that we see in John is centered around the first communion table, it's centered around the institution of the act of remembering, remembering what Jesus had done for each of us, looking forward with hope for the future of the place that Jesus has prepared for us. And as the disciples gathered around that table, Jesus knew their fickle hearts, the times that they, that they would betray him, the times that they maybe already have, the ways that we would deny him, and, and yet he still prepares a place for those disciples and for you and I today. Isn't this a beautiful picture that this passage shows us? That we can come to him with our worries, our challenges, our triumphs, and our defeats, just like the disciples did around that ta table. And that he says, let not your hearts be troubled, as he brings peace. Maybe not to the circumstances around us, but even more profoundly to our hearts and our minds. I want to read uh, to you from Peter's own words. As an apostle, many years after this passage in John, a person who had denied Jesus, but who had been restored by him too, and who consequently then on lived a life of faithfulness. This is what he opens his letter with in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 9. It's a little bit long, but I think it's incredibly powerful. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, the place that Jesus talks about. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a beautiful picture of the testament of Peter's life. That this denier of Jesus who restored, who was restored, can confidently stand on the truth that Jesus said that he's preparing a place and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I think his confidence came because he took, he chose to look beyond his present and to a future that Jesus was preparing for him. And it can be the same for you too. Don't give up. Is your heart troubled? Well, can I encourage you that we're going to join in communion together. We're going to join into communion to remember that as Jesus is the way, he will not lead you somewhere he hasn't already gone himself, that he hasn't already triumphed over, and that he shares that victory that he won with us. You know, as believers, we talk about a lot about dying to ourselves, and we kind of make it this thing that seems almost like it should be easy or, or, or like at least simple, um, but honestly, dying to ourselves is hard. It's challenging. It costs us in this world. And it can feel sometimes like you are being buried. But in the end, it will be your life. So if you're finding it hard to walk in that way of dying to yourself, can I encourage you that Jesus has already prepared a place for you in eternity with him. And he's already walked this way himself. And may that simple truth give you great courage and great strength to live out the dying of self, knowing that your reward in heaven is already being prepared for you and nothing in this world can snatch that away. And may you know that you are, you are already being prepared for the place with Jesus. As we take in communion, I pray that God restores the joy of our salvation today. There's a lyric from a song that we're gonna, uh, that, that we have actually on our, um, on our Spotify playlist for this weekend that we would be singing in service uh, during communion. And it says, purify my heart in your presence. Teach me to discover the joy of holiness that forms as you draw me close. In you, what was lost is restored. So I will rise and lift my head for by his mercy, my life was spared. The highest name has set me free. Because of Jesus, my heart is clean. And friends, if you're exploring faith, but you want to take that next step and place your faith in him, can I encourage you that we would love uh, to pray with you? I mean, we're on this stream here, but we would love uh, for you to reach out for us in like a private message or, or visit our website at myevangel.church, fill out a form there so that we can simply pray with you uh, and encourage you and champion you um, as we do communion together. And friends, if you need to pause this right now to grab your communion elements, please do. Um, but we're going to read together in 1 Corinthians as we remember Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and says, This is my body for you, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take that bread together, friends. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's take the cup together. 
Well, friends, let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you sent Jesus and that Jesus, you would go all the way to the cross for each one of us. And not only that, but that you would prepare a place for us in eternity with you. A place that is being prepared right now as we are being prepared here on this earth for that time that comes. God, I pray that if there are people here whose hearts are troubled, that they would be reminded again of the joy of their salvation, the simplicity and yet incredible, incredibly profound truth that the gospel is. That you would love us so much that you would come to earth live a perfect life, make a perfect sacrifice, and rise again so that we can experience a life that you give. God, I pray for the peace that surpasses all understanding. We guard our hearts and minds today in you, Jesus. That if there are those who are struggling, that if there are those who feel weighted by this world, God, that you would uh, bring such a profound peace in their lives right now. And God, if there are those of us who are exploring faith that want to take that next step, I pray that they would join with me in this prayer to say that they have made mistakes, that they have sinned against you, but that you have uh, loved them in such a way that reveals Jesus and reveals uh, their brokenness, but a savior who can solve that as well. And so God, I pray that they would put their faith in you today. And as they do that, that you would restore their hearts, their minds and their souls. And they would know that believing in you is a journey that is one that is uh, challenging but joyful, the one that is the life that we are all searching for. And so God, I pray for those people as well, that you would just uh, meet them where they are in their homes now. God, we love you and we thank you for taking this time of remembrance together to remind our hearts and our minds of what you have done for us so that it can give us great hope for whatever comes in our future. God, we thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, friends, for joining with me as we center around God's word and as we uh, take in communion together. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Marcus, for that reminder that the grace and the gentleness of Jesus really creates a place where relationship can thrive, where we can come in safety and in freedom to ask our questions and to go deeper in relationship with God himself. Well, I have a few announcements for you as we wrap up our time together. And the first is very near and dear to my heart, and that is that Nanus Bay Pentecostal Camp is revving up to go for the 2022 camp season. And something that you might not know is that Evangel Church is part owners of that camp. Along with the rest of the churches on Vancouver Island, we all collectively own Nanus Bay Pentecostal Camp. And we believe we have a responsibility to take care of that which we own, to be good stewards of it. So there are a few projects that need to happen as camp, like so many other things, really sat dormant for quite a while while COVID rendered it something that we weren't able to use. And so there are two projects that are um, ones that we want to undertake as a church. So the first is one that will make the camp a little more usable. And that is that we have a loft that we cannot use at the camp right now. The stairs that would go up to it um, are external and without being used or maintained for a couple of years, they are not currently safe. And so we wanna be able to 
raise the funds as well as send a building team to build a new set of stairs up to code that would allow that loft to be usable space. The second is a project that just blesses the kids, the preteens and the teenagers of camp, and that is the basketball hoops. <laughs> They've seen some wear and tear, they get used often. They're due for some replacements. So we would like to raise money for those stairs as well as the basketball hoops. So the total cost of that is about $7,500. But as I mentioned, we would also like to send a team to build uh, those stairs as well as to replace those basketball hoops. There are countless other projects too if you would prefer to maybe clean a kitchen or scrub down a bathroom. If you would like to be part of the building team or the service team that will be going to Nanus Bay Camp this spring, and I'm waiting on dates from the camp, so we'll get those to you. You can email me at lisa at evangelpc.com, lisa at evangelpc.com. If you would like to give, you can head on over to myevangel.church forward slash give. And when you get there, you can just choose the Nanus Bay Camp projects from the drop down menu right there on Rebel Give. Well, we are so grateful for your generosity in this 2022 year and, and as we've closed up 2021, we know that the mission of the church is not possible without the people of the church. The church is more than just the building. And so we thank you so much for your partnership with us. If you would like to give today and help what we're doing, Financially, we would be so grateful. And again, you can head on over to that myevangel.church forward slash give, and you can find all of the ways that you can give online or at an in-person service or during our office hours right there. Well, thank you again so much for being here with us today. We are so grateful that you made the time to grow in Jesus alongside us. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.